0: Did you know that the DOE loan programs office's authority for clean energy commercialization increased tenfold from $40 billion to $400 billion due to the bipartisan infrastructure law and the Inflation Reduction Act? In this Greenlight podcast episode, I will speak with Arpita Bhattacharya, Chief Climate Officer at the LPO, about the organization's strategic priorities from green hydrogen to EVs to geothermal to wind. We will also speak about the DOE's Tribal Energy Finance Program and focus on environmental justice. I'm also looking forward to speaking with Arpita about her transition from project development at SunPower to launching low-emissions food at Impossible to the DOE. Thanks for tuning into the green light. Now let's dive in. I'm Katherine McLean, founder and CEO of Dylan Green. And today I have with me Arpita Badataria, the Chief Climate Officer at the DOE Loan Program. Thanks for joining me, Arpita. Thank you. So excited to be here. So I think you're in gloomy DC, just up the beltway from me. <laughs> it's so gloomy today. <laughs> So hopefully we can talk about some nice positive things and um, get a bit cheerier. Uh, Can you introduce yourself and tell us a bit more about your current role at DOE?
1: Absolutely. So um, as you mentioned, I'm the Chief Climate Officer here at the Loan Programs Office, Um, along with Jigar Shah. I'm one of the Biden administration political appointees. So my role really here is to think about how we actually meet the Biden administration's priorities, um, their climate goals. And as you likely know, the nuance of our climate mission is that it's not just about reducing greenhouse gas emissions. It really is about creating good jobs, onshoring and reshoring manufacturing here in the United States, ensuring that those who've been historically disadvantaged uh, from the climate transition and climate uh, and energy supply uh, communities are benefiting from this transition. So I help ensure we're driving forward our climate priorities with a focus on our tribal energy finance program.
0: And you majored in political science and international relations. How did you make your way into renewable energy?
1: Yeah, great question. So I actually, um, my parents are from immigrants from India, from Calcutta, which uh, borders Bangladesh, uh, which is going to be one of the most climate vulnerable countries in the world, as you know. And... I remember in ninth grade reading this article in Time that was talking about how more flooding, hurricanes, climate disasters would potentially impact a lot of migration um, from different countries to other countries. And just thinking, I just remember a little, like in ninth grade thinking, you know, Calcutta is already so crowded. How are we going to have more people here? How are the, how are we, how's it going to be even more hot um, in, for my relatives who are still living there? So that really sparked an interest, you know, did my high school environmental club. um, And then my, what I focused on in college in that international relations major was really about how folks perceived climate change and how they perceived something that was going to impact future generations, but weren't going to impact them. Right. And how they take action around that. But of course, as we've seen in recent years, it's already impacting us. Um, So it's been interesting to watch sort of that shift happen. And so, uh, you know, I went into energy and climate policy after that, uh, working for former EP Administrator Carol Browner mm-hmm. and with uh, John Podesta, who is then leading Center for American Progress on climate and energy work. And that was in that time, the Waxman-Markey legislation had just failed. Uh, so this was you know, 2010, 2011, and everyone was sort of like, what, what do we do now? Um, we don't have this big piece of legislation. Who's gonna help us with this transformation? And there's a lot of talk about, we need private finance, we need the you know, capital markets to come in and actually fund this transition. Right. And I was like, I don't know what they're talking about. Like, I don't know how to do that. Um, and so while obviously the public, you know, p- the public and the Congress has such a huge role to play, um, I need to understand the private sector like uh, levers that we're going to be using. So right. went to business school, um, f- focused on renewable energy finance there, just investment banking, and got to work on the Sunrun IPO, which was very cool. And then decided, though, that I really wanted to go to a company where it could like touch and feel the impact. Um, And solar development is really that. You're able to like go be like, this actual product is reducing emissions. So I went to SunPower, did commercial solar project development there. So this was working with Apple and Amazon on their big warehouses and Target on their big warehouses and thinking, designing their solar projects and also doing the project financing on those projects. So that was really great. And then, you know, solar, as people call it the solar coaster, it is both a wild ride uh, and really fun to be a part of. But I also wanted to see what it was like to be at the start of an industry. And so I went to Impossible Foods that was you know, helping create this market around low emission food technology, right. and spent some time there helping launch. We did we during COVID actually did the big first big retail launches. Uh, we launched the Starbucks breakfast sandwich, um, right. and so it was really cool to see how you make the case for this like low emission food. Uh, so that's my my journey up uh, till DOE and uh, to Department of Energy. I've been lucky to have a bunch of awesome opportunities. Versus chief staff to the deputy secretary and working across. Across our lab infrastructure and sort of seeing the full scope of what this agency can do and now at the loan programs office so it's really exciting to you know put together the climate and the energy and the finance pieces together in my current role.
0: Yeah it's so interesting I really think that like that journey makes so much sense to me especially like I was passionate about nutrition and also passionate about climate like I think the two yeah. kind of really coincide in a lot of different ways um just uh, you know with being environmentally healthy but as well as um being healthy you know um, for yourself <laughs> <laughs> like, um what is a barrier you have faced in your career and how did you overcome it
1: yeah so I think there's Obviously, lots of barriers, um, and I think your organization does such a good job trying to address one of them. I mean, for yeah. most of my career, I'm usually the all in so many rooms, the only woman in the room, the only person of color in the room, yeah. and that is comes with its own, um, you know, barriers, obstacles. But uh, what has been amazing at the Department of Energy, obviously led by Secretary Granholm, most of the rooms I am now in, they've done such a good job hiring. Yeah. And I really um, feel very balanced and I feel, you know, I haven't felt that as much as Department of Energy, which makes yeah. me very excited about where we're going in this industry. I know it'll be different if I were to ever go back to private sector. And even at the loan programs office, our C-suite level uh, executives it is basically 50-50 and it's just incredible to be in that environment. So that is one and happy to always, you know, dive in more to those pieces. The other Thing I would say is what is both like the opportunity and challenge of being in climate is that you can move through things that are as different as a solar panel and hamburger meat, you know, and <laughs> still be sort of in the climate space. Yeah. And obviously there are transferable skills that you're thinking about, right? Where like, okay, so you know, at Sun Power, we're saying we're making the most efficient solar panel in the right. world um, yeah. versus we're making and and then on the other side of impossible foods marketing like no we're making like the lowest emission meat type product that you're able to right. do so it's really fun to see those parallels but sometimes I'm um, especially in my last role working uh, with the deputy secretary it's like you go from meetings that are like about geothermal, which is a very specific type of technology to talking about fusion, which is Mm a completely different technology, but they're both still in this energy climate space. Um, And I wouldn't call it as much a barrier, but it is, you have to be able to, you know, absorb information really quickly, and then be also be able to um, understand where your intervention in a huge department like Department of Energy is gonna be the most impactful uh, without getting overwhelmed by all the different technologies and opportunities that we wanna go after. Right, right. With the passage
0: of the bipartisan infrastructure law and the Inflation Reduction Act, the LPO jumped from $4 billion to $400 billion in authority for clean energy commercialization. How much of this funding has already been deployed and what are the LPO's top priorities when it comes to deploying these funds?
1: Yes. Um, it's exciting to have the Inflation Reduction Act and um, 5% of the law to really just supersize what we're going to be able to do. I think I would just take like a quick minute to step back. Like I think what's so amazing about these two pieces of legislation that I haven't seen in my 15 plus years in working in this sector is that it's creating both the demand as well as the supply. So with the tax incentives, you're actually incentivizing consumers to go out there and buy EVs and buy solar panels and heat pumps, et cetera. And then we're also do creating the supply. We're like helping build the backbone of the manufacturing sector for EVs, for solar, for all of these different sectors. So that has been really cool to see with uh, the, both of these pieces of legislation. And um, I think what I always go back to like sort of the civic lessons, like why, sometimes I think people ask the question like, wait, why do we, why does the government need to do this? And for me, it's really that like, it goes, back to the civics class. It's like when there is a problem that the private sector alone cannot uh, figure out or face, you really do need the government to come in and spur the innovation as well as the deployment to get us to meet our goals for our national security and for really our obviously future generations and particularly in the climate change arena. And so then when you think of loan programs office, we fit into sort of the end of the, what we think about as like the different technology readiness levels. And what's great about the Department of Energy is we have program offices and grants and funding for every single valley of deaths that a technology will face. So whether you know it's basic R&D within our labs to our applied offices who are thinking a little bit further down the line of like, hey, we actually really need um, a, you know, a cobalt-free battery. Like, can we actually do a prize competition about that? To our Office of Clean Energy Demonstrations, Grid Deployment Office, the Manufacturing and Supply Chains, which is a little further down where we're taking, we're like, hey, can you actually demonstrate some of these technologies? ARPA-E falls into that. And the Law Programs Office is you come in when you already have a proven technology. We don't take will you, won't you risk. And, We come in and try to catalyze and scale up uh, some of these sectors that we think are really going to be transformative in the clean energy space. So Mm -hmm. thus far, you know, Loan Programs Office has, in this administration, um, issued 20 billion in both closed loans and conditional commitments. And we have a pipeline of over 200 billion dollars of applicants who are across batteries clean fuels hydrogen offshore wind and so um it's just been really exciting to see that and we still have a lot of loan authority left and we are working super hard (laughs) in loan progress office to get the get those um loans processed and through the door and uh it's a very just exciting time to see us have that momentum and pick up
0: I think what's so exciting um, from what I've seen is just the breadth of technology. Like yeah. It's not just like one it's not solar, <laughs> it's just like you said, cobalt. I mean, it's just so interesting all the different technologies and projects.
1: Yeah, it's yeah, exactly. And that's what is great about it, where we really are trying to hit all the different pieces of the sector and all the different pieces of the supply chain too, um, as you can see in a lot of our EV supply chain awards, which has been really cool. Uh, so just going back to the LPO, um, they're
0: currently supporting a range of clean energy projects, as we discussed, from onshore Wind to geothermal, to EV to nuclear, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> um, what are some of the projects you've been most excited about?
1: Yeah, and I think you mentioned so many of the awesome ones we're doing. I think I would say two things, um, and I was hinting to this previously, but What's so cool is to see us take on like the EV supply chain. We've done mm-hmm. projects with lithium carbonate, graphite, anode, cathode materials. So it's really, and then also actually just, you know, producing the batteries. And so that's what's really cool about our ETVM program, um, Advanced Technology Manufacturing, <laughs> Vehicle Manufacturing Program, <laughs> um, because there's not an innovation requirement. It's really about scaling up. And so you can right. all the different... Uh, pieces of that supply chain and scale all of them up, which is I think great. Mm-hmm. The other ones I get really excited about are sort of the standalone mm-hmm. ones, the ones that uh, have are really first to market. One of the ones we announced recently was one hundred eight um, one hundred eighty nine million for a Long Path, mm-hmm. and so this is supporting uh, methane emissions moder- monitoring in real time mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, methane is obviously sort of like a super greenhouse gas. So the more we're able to work um, in different gas and oil fields to do that methane monitoring, it, it's going to have a huge impact. So I'm really excited about when we can be in those sectors where we're leading the charge. Okay. Um. So
0: some some might not know that the LPO, which was created in 2005, which I did not know that at yeah. all. I thought it was way more recent than that. Um, Previously, um, rescued Tesla from bankruptcy in 2010 with a $465 million loan. I don't know if they're regretting that now. (laughs) Um, Why do you believe the LPO is critical to the energy
1: transition? Yeah, and this is something we talk a lot about um, in the loan programs office and more and more as we're putting more deals out the door we are inherently a risk taking organization and as i mentioned i think it's so important for government to take this role that we will right. come in where you know the private sector isn't and so that is just going to keep playing out and we are going to see companies that are you know we are conditionally committing to we are that might struggle on execution and there might be right. times when they're oh, this site didn't work out. Actually, we need to pivot here. We need to, we had trouble scaling this and that. And what is great about the Loan Programs Office and the way that we do this is at conditional commitment, we have a lot of conditions precedents that you have to meet before we're actually going to give you the money. And so what's important there is ensuring that those conditions precedent um, gives room and gives flexibility for the companies to Really keep trying to hit their execution right. Um so that's just been great. And I think Tesla is obviously a perfect example of that. Mm-hmm. Um, of you know, this that was a risky bet, and we took it, and it has um, succeeded. And I just think that it's going to be um, so crucial for some of these companies who really are at the edge of like making it um, right. to be able to come in and really support them and take them through all those sort of difficult phases uh, to scale up. Right. Um,
0: just a follow-up question to that. Can you provide some examples of other companies or technologies LPO has played a critical role for?
1: Yeah, definitely. So 10 of the first utility-scale solar projects in the United States were underwritten by us, um, as well as the first nuclear plant in those built in the last 20 20- Five years in this country, as well as like the first wind farm. So a lot of that first generation of technologies was, it was vital for us to be there. Uh, And it will be really interesting, given the um, breadth and volume of the different types of technologies we are now supporting, um, that sort of that Idea of like crowding in private sector capital and bringing the private sector in will be. It, I don't think it'll just be like wind and solar, which I felt like were the big players last yeah. around. It's going to be a much wider swath yeah. um, across. Again, like when we're thinking about geothermal, hydrogen, um, yeah. and uh, you know carbon capture and storage, right. like there's going to be just a bigger suite. So it'll be interesting to see which of the ones. Have we successfully built the bridge to bankability and have the follow on investing? So I, we're, we're excited about it.
0: Yeah, it's just so interesting to me because,
1: yeah, it's just you don't want to be so reliant on
0: like one thing. And I mean, that's what's so exciting about clean energy. It's going to take a bunch of different technologies to get to where we want to go. Um, I want to talk next about environmental justice. Uh, Can you talk about the ways in which the DOE is helping to ensure environmental justice? So including the DOE's Tribal Energy
1: Finance Program? Yeah, so uh, as you know, the president issued the Justice 40 executive order early Mm -hmm. on in the term, and it is such a great idea. It is Mm -hmm. exactly um, what we should be doing, thinking about these energy communities who've been burdened by the energy transition in the past. And so, but however, operationalizing that is super difficult. And what is it that we are going to ask of our applicants? How do we ensure that we're tracking that progress throughout the life of the loan? These can be 10, 20, 30 year uh, loans. And so administrations will change, LPO will change. And so how do we ensure that we're building something that lasts? And we have an incredible community jobs and justice team here at LPO who works with the applicants at every stage of the process to start having these conversations. And what I think has been so successful with our community jobs and justice team is you have to meet your applicant where they are at. Sometimes this is the first time they're coming, have ever interacted with the federal government on any anything that involves their technology. Right. And and it, there's a lot, there's a lot of nuance to that. And there's a lot of um, things that they would not have to deal with in the capital markets. So bringing them along with us, having those early conversations of, hey, how, how are you thinking about engaging with the community on this? Have you thought about, you know, where are you on thinking through the salary of these employees and right. what sectors provided before and having those conversations and then, um, I, I do think for environmental justice and thinking specifically on the tribal energy finance program, this is like what I think about and keeps me up at night all all the time. Uh, because we are such our program is really really good for large projects for right. uh, hundred million dollar plus. We do not have a you know a, a floor uh, or anything like that, but just how long it takes to get through the process, our due diligence, et cetera. For tribal communities and for the tribal energy finance program, a lot of the need is much smaller. It is in the 10 to $20 million range. And so what we're really thinking about is how do we partner with outside, whether it be native CDFIs, how do we think about community lending and all of that? And how do we become partners together to fund the projects to where they, they need to be? So it's just because we have the money does not mean we've figured out how to get it to the communities most in need. And I also think just because we're giving money to companies and asking them to engage with communities does not mean that we'll have results. So I think we are really working to, you know, make this a metric, you know, ensure there are metrics and goals and that we're fulfilling them. And I think we've made a lot of progress in the last three years.
0: What advice do you have to give to applicants? So for clean energy companies that are thinking about applying for LPO funding, what would you say to them?
1: So we actually just put out a really great blog post on this. And so encourage everyone to look at it. But um, just going through some of the big points and, and some of this, you're like, oh, obviously that makes sense. But I think what we have to realize is particularly in climate tech, for a while, you know, the VC Funding world uh, was really, you know, the focus, and it was like, okay, let's like, we have an idea, let's try to get a lot of money. This is a good right. idea. Right. Debt financing is this whole, all wholly a different thing, right? It's you should be past that phase of just like, hey, this is what we're going to do we need to see that you're actually doing it. And so one of them is what something I mentioned earlier that, again, we don't have a minimum, but is the project big enough to go through our process? Uh, Does it make sense given the way that we're going to have to bring in market advisors and outside legal advisors? So I think that's one important conversation to have with the outreach and business development uh, lead that we'll put on each applicant. And then offtake. Do you have like a reasonable strategy to actually sell what you produce? And this can be really interesting where these are new markets. Um, for hydrogen, for example, the hydrogen hubs were announced out of the Office of Clean Energy demonstrations. In parallel, they put out a $1 billion RFP around ideas to both generate demand and actually create demand, so right. there are ones where we're really trying to think like this is such a good idea, if only these trucks could actually handle <laughs> the type of fuel you're you're putting together yeah. or planes or you know whatever it might be. So we have to have a lot of those initial conversations to make sure we're all on the same page, and then really like you know, have you raised development capital? Do you have project equity um, that is committed and ready to take you through? What we see a lot is, um, particularly on the tribal energy finance side is, there's a project, it is ready to go, but some of that early stage development finance, feasibility studies, technical studies, uh, just haven't been done. So it's really hard for us to say, okay, this is ready, for prime time and ready for LPO. So just really, we need to ensure that there are equity investors who are committed to the success along with us. Um, Again, this is often a conditions precedent for us getting any money out the door is ensuring that we're in it with uh, other private sector players, because at the end of the day, that's the whole point of of galvanizing that. Um, I already talked about, about, you know, ensure that it's it's past demonstration phase, but it's, we can, you know, ensure that it will continue to work. Uh, and then other things like site control, do you have good management of your team? And then are you really working with the community to your last question? So some of the sort of basic things, but um, putting it all together, we just want to ensure that folks know that we're really here to help you through the process. Uh, and we're willing to just, chat through and, and, you know, work with you, even if it takes months to get to the point where you're ready for us.
0: Well, thank you so much for talking to us today. I really appreciate your time.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for all the work you're doing to get us uh, more (laughs) folks into this important sector.
0: Thanks for listening to the Greenlight Podcast. Are you looking for your next role in climate tech? Join the largest growing network of clean tech professionals and be the first to know about when industry-leading clean tech companies first post new openings from development to finance to project management. By checking out our website, dylan-green.com/latest-jobs. If you're a clean tech employer and need help scaling your workforce efficiently with top-tier candidates, contact me directly on LinkedIn.